Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth. In it, we discuss the nature of leadership, some common myths and theories of leadership, and key styles that can help you become a better leader. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three four zero. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am so excited to have today's guest back on the show. I knew basically as soon as we finished our conversation last time that I'd have to bring her back. She had a 25-year career at Microsoft and advanced to the role of corporate vice president, and then she struck out on her own. She's an expert in digital transformation and change leadership, and she's advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion. She also serves on a number of boards. Um, I first saw her in a TED Talk on how to become an ally, and she is based in Seattle, Washington. Welcome back to the show, the CEO of Gabriella Schuster, LLC, Gabriella Schuster. Well, thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. It's just great to be back here. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think you did a great job. I, you know, I've been in the high tech industry for over 30 years. And, um, you know, I was at Microsoft for 26. And in that time, um, I had over, you know, 14, I had about 14 different jobs, um, <laughs> bounced around um, into multiple different disciplines all around Microsoft from operations to sales, to marketing, product management, partner development, um, and, and uh, enterprise services. So multiple different um, views on the, on the business. And, um, and in all of that, um, you know, really learned myself how mm-hmm. to um, how to succeed as a woman in tech and realize that sadly, after um, 30 years, things really haven't gotten better. In fact, they've gotten worse um, for women in tech and that, you know, I really um, felt like I had an obligation to do something about that. Absolutely. Um, I kind of want to then reference back what we talked about last time, because when we spoke in our first conversation, which um, if anybody missed it, it was episode 320. You can find it at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 320. Um, We were really focusing on the importance of inclusion. And I was just talking to you about this a couple minutes ago, but I do think that the I is the least recognized part of that DEI acronym, right? We think of diversity, equity, equity, and inclusion, and everybody's like, okay, I just have to have a more diverse team and I have to treat them equally. And then people forget inclusion. And so we took a deep dive into that. I learned a lot and it's something that, that I've really benefited from. But another concept that I think just the word is used, but people don't necessarily think about the depth of it, about what it means is being an ally. Mm-hmm. We think, you know, I'm an ally. I, I don't hate people. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to really hone in on what does it actually mean to be an ally? And especially, obviously, as a leader in a work context, not mm-hmm. just calling yourself an ally, but really being one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, the to be being an ally, what that means is that you are working with intention to utilize your privilege, your power, your position to um, share that with others, to empower others. Um, And a lot of the key actions and behaviors that allies do are those that great leaders do. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a lot of crossover in great leadership behavior with 
um, great allyship behavior, but it is something that has to be, you, you are working with intention um, mm-hmm. in ally. So it's, it's, you don't just fall into allyship, um, you know, generally, um, you know, because it's, it's about creating a, a level of situational awareness and an EQ around what's going on around you to recognize when somebody may be um, excluded or, um, or singled out and that there's kind of unfair judgment occurring. Mm, that's so important because I think a lot of times we, we think that being an ally means um, when there is something super, super obvious, I speak up and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then because we're in a professional work context, I think most of us are fortunate enough to not have many situations of extreme, obvious, you know, lack of equality and, and um, you know, people saying just really, really obvious things. So that idea of having a high enough EQ to recognize, you know what, this isn't super blatant. Somebody's not saying, you know, I think women are not as good as men. <laughs> I think black people are bad at their jobs, right? People aren't going to say that, but it's going to be evidenced in behavior. It's going to be evidenced in the kind of requests that are made of some people versus the yeah. requests that are made of other people. And yeah. you have to have your eyes open a little wider to, to yeah. be looking kind of behind the scenes. Is that yeah. kind of what I'm hearing? Yes, absolutely. Right. It's recognizing that your lived experience is not universal um, and that everyone um, has a different, you know, their own unique lived experience. And then particular, um, you know, groups may have um, even more um, diverse, different experiences than you've had. Right. So, um, you know, there is a history and a legacy of Um, kind of systemic bias built into the U.S. system around Black and African Americans. And and if you are not in, if you are not a Black or African American, you may not recognize that that bias because it's it's just inherent in maybe some cultural norms that you grew up with, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's it's recognizing your universe, your experience is not universal. Like if you're, and if you're a man, you, you don't understand what it's like to be a woman. Like you don't, right? And so just recognizing that that your experience isn't universal. Absolutely. I think of conversations I've had in a personal context with male friends who have no understanding of what it's like as a woman, if I'm walking down a street late at night by myself, right. I will have my keys between my fingers. And yep. I honestly don't know if that would do me any good if anybody tried anything, but I've been doing that since college. And the idea that I get my keys out of my bag before I leave the subway station and my head is on a swivel. And if I've got headphones on, I'm turning the volume way down. And it's not that I live in a place of, you know, abject fear all the time. It's that I feel as a woman, I have to have a level of situational awareness that I know a lot of guys who just like, la la la, walk down the street and you know, perfectly fine. And so that understanding of a situation, whether it's in a personal context or again, a professional context, that you might be 100% comfortable and somebody else is going to have a level of discomfort, a level of fear, a level Mm -hmm. of lack of understanding, um, not knowing what the expected behavior is. If you can, if you can really kind of step back and think about it, there are probably more situations than, um, than we can recognize that are difficult for other people and where there's just friction that doesn't necessarily need to be there. 
Right. Absolutely. And that's a great example, right? Like um, that your experience, it's not a universal experience. Men, there's a, most men have never thought, even thought about that. Um, you know, I, I, I have similar th thoughts, right? When I'm traveling, I think about what time am I landing? Is it going to be dark? Um, how do I adjust my flight so that I'm landing during the day when there's when it's busy? Um, you know, mm -hmm. all of those things. Sometimes I will, um, I'll take a, a, a rental car rather than an Uber or taxi because of the place or the time of day, right? Um, and so, you know, those are definitely things that I know, um, uh, you know, a lot of men, they don't, they don't give that another thought, right? Um, but, but the microaggressions that occur at work, as you were talking about, um, they can even be even more subtle than mm -hmm. that. Um, they, you know, and, and they can be that, um, you know, women are interrupted more often than men. And, um, and that's just, there's a lot of data and a lot of research behind that, that it just, it just happens. And, um, and so recognizing that if you have, um, you know, a woman in your team, a woman in the meeting, um, um, just being on alert, like if, if anyone is interrupting her, how do you step in without any blaming or shaming? How do you step in and say, oh, I, you know, I don't think Elizabeth was quite done. Elizabeth, do you want to finish your thought? That's mm -hmm. an ally, right? That's an intentional action to be an ally. And so, um, you know, it's just recognizing those subtle things that happen to, um, to, to women, to people of color, to people with disabilities, um, and, um, and, educating yourself about what are some of those things that do more commonly occur and um, and create either an unwanted spotlight on someone or um, you know remove the spotlight from somebody exclude them absolutely that's such a great example and I think back this was research I read years and years ago but um, when you look at uh, meeting context, or even when you look at a classroom context, if you had 50% men and 50% women or 50% boys and girls in school, um, in terms of how often they're speaking up, it will be perceived by both the class and the teachers or by the people in the meeting that women are speaking up more. And it's, it's just something that happens. And it, like you said, nobody's doing this on purpose, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a part of society. And then you think, as you said, putting a spotlight on people, if somebody is non-binary or, um, or trans, and they're the only one that lists pronouns mm -hmm. that can unnecessarily spotlight them. Whereas if we can all just, you know, list our pronouns in situations, especially if you have somebody that might be comfortable with, you know, might, might require that it can make everybody more comfortable or even checking with them of, Hey, do you want me to do that? Do you feel like that would call too much attention to you or would it not be helpful? And just being aware of those mm -hmm. situations just can be, um, such an important thing to do. So I love those, you know, what you identified, where we're treating people differently, where we're calling more attention to them, or where we're kind of, you know, they're getting less attention than they should, because all of those can be challenging for people. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and it's, I, I love that you talked about um, asking for permission. I think there are um, some allyship behaviors that you need to ask permission for. And then there are some allyship behaviors that it's not necessary to ask for permission, um, as long as you are 
um, doing it right. As long as you are stepping in in an appropriate way, um, that again is more about diffusing or redirecting a conversation rather than um, you know spotlighting the person who may have been offended by the situation, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, I think that the first, I, I have a framework on what our great allies and behaviors great allies do. Um, and you basically um, just have to remember the word allies. And um, it's about being an advocate, listening, lifting up those around you, including elevating and sponsoring. And those are the six actions that allies take. I think the first three are reactive um, actions, things that um, you can practice and do um, and get better at. And they don't necessarily require you to get permission from someone to be acting like an ally. The last three around include, elevate, and sponsor do require you. They are more proactive allyship behaviors, and they do require you to get the permission of the person that you want to be an ally to. Um, and so the first three, though, are more about, um, you know, raising your situational awareness, raising your EQ, understanding what are some of those common microaggressions that will occur, and developing for yourself the way that you can um, step into those situations takes courage. So this is the thing that makes it really intentional about being an ally. It takes courage to um, to step in and um, and say something. But you're saying something not like like for instance in the example I was talking about before in the interruption. You're not you're not stepping in and saying, Joe, I can't believe you just interrupted Elizabeth, <laughs> right? Like you're not gonna. That is not a helpful allyship behavior, right? Like the helpful allyship behavior is just simply to redirect and say, hold on a minute, Joe, I think Elizabeth wasn't done, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just, just a, it, it comes across as like a common courtesy as opposed to, you know, kind of calling anyone out. I'm not calling you out. I'm not calling Joe out, right? Absolutely. Because, um, it, sorry, yeah, to <laughs> speaking of interrupting, but because, I mean, if we just think about it, right, it might seem to some people like, well, Joe needs to know that what he's doing is wrong. Well, you're setting up conflict between Joe and the, the person, you know, and Elizabeth. And it's, that's embarrassing potentially to Elizabeth. And right. Joe is not going to react well to that. And that's something that I think a lot of times we don't recognize. They've shown by research, people are more offended by being called racist than right. by, by so many other things that are negative. And the word, you know, it, basically people feel like an accusation of bias is right. incredibly damaging to them. And so doing that in a group context is going to be actually quite detrimental. Right, right. And so it's finding ways to do to um, interrupt the flow without calling anyone out. So for instance, I'll give you another example. Um, there, there are cultural norms where, and, and I've had this happen to me many times, um, men will um, ask you to go get coffee. Mm -hmm. Men will um, ask you to take notes. They may ask you to go, can you go welcome the guests um, and be our hostess, 
will you, uh, or there's an event that has to be planned and they like, everyone looks at you because you're a woman. Like, oh, of course you could plan this event better than anyone else, right? And those are cultural norms. Those are things that have happened many times over to me. And um, and in, in a situation like that, um, if I say, like, so if someone says, oh, Gabriella, why don't you just take notes? Um, and if I push back and say, why me? That sounds very defensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if an ally in the room recognizes that and steps in and says, hey, you know what? Um, why don't we, well, first of all, wh- why don't we just ask the room? Does anybody want to take notes? Um, or, or maybe we'll just go, you know, round robin through each meeting, mm-hmm. right? So they just step in with another another idea. They don't say to whoever asked me to take notes, why would you do that, right? <laughs> Your behavior was so inappropriate. <laughs> them they don't put me on the spot. They just kind of step in and open it back up so that it's, you know, like, oh, hmm, let's do something different. Right. Um, and, you know, and so that's that's what an, you when you advocate in the moment, you are creating that situational awareness. You're recognizing when something might like might have just happened and you are reacting and responding in the moment. Um, and, and not in a way that blames or shames anybody, not in a way that singles anyone out, but just by redirecting the conversation. And um, so another example, um, very often when we're in the you know beginning of meetings, happens a little less in, in remote meetings, but um, you know, there's a lot of chatter in the room and people are talking about um, you know, that the the conversations can be very exclusionary, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, because there's some people that may know each other better or people have different um, things in common or they may be talking about the game that happened last night. And then you know, everyone's not involved in that. Um, everyone can't can't um, speak up. And so um, the the ally will recognize, oh, there's some there's some people who are left out of this chatter. Right. And will strike up a um, more uh, inclusive type of chatter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, nothing that they're very subtle things, right? It's nothing that anyone would just sit there and go, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe you just stepped up to do that, right? Like it, when it happens, it's a very subtle thing and it shifts that it shifts the energy and it, um, and it becomes more inclusive. So those are the advocacy um, kinds of behaviors and you don't have permission to, to do those things, right? Um, the, the second one is around listening. And this really takes a lot of intentionality because, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the chatter in your head, right? Um, and, you know, be, you're in a meeting, you're in a conversation and you start thinking about um, what, what your opinion is, what you're going to say next, or you start thinking about resolution or, or solving the problem or the thing that someone's talking about and you stop listening. Um, Real listening is about staying with the person who's talking and working with intention to understand what they're saying, to understand their perspective, to make sure that you understand, um, you know, the the um, their core um, assumptions behind what they're saying and um, and their and the direction, etc. Right? And you listen with curiosity, and that takes a lot of intentionality. Um, but you know. And, and Elizabeth, I am sure you could call out like the top three people in your life 
who you know have been great listeners, right? Because mm-hmm. it is so rare. It, it really, really is. And as you said, it, it does require that intention. And I would imagine a lot of times one way that, it, it, I'll step back a little bit, to be an effective advocate for, you know, to do advocating, it starts with listening. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you're just thinking about what you're going to say next, you're not going to notice if somebody mm-hmm. interrupts. You're not going to notice if, you know, if Gabrielle made a suggestion and then nobody kind of paid any attention to it. And then 10 minutes later, Pete made the same suggestion. Everybody's like, oh, wow, Pete, that's a really great idea. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you're really listening to what's going on, you can say, you know, again, calling in and, and not blaming, be like, yeah, Pete, that's a really great point. You know, and, and as Gabriella said earlier, blah, 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 whatever it might be. Yeah. And just, yeah. you know, calling it back to that person and making sure to give them attention. And, and listening is just so incredibly foundational to, I think, really all of these other behaviors. Exactly, exactly. And yet it is one of the hardest things, but we all have it in our power to do. But it does require us to stay present um, and focused. And so, um, you know, so that is, again, a behavior you can start to work on and you don't need anyone's permission to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's a great leadership tactic as well. Um, the third one um, is about lifting people up. Right. Um, helping people to see um, the value the recognizing the contributions that people are making, not nitpicking, not challenging them, but but really finding an opportunity to um, to celebrate the great things that they have said or that they have done um, and doing that publicly, doing that privately, building up someone else's confidence. Right. And not doing it like it's not I'm not saying like, don't do that authentically. You want to do that authentically. But finding in, you know, it's it's I, I think we all tend to um, or at least I tend to fall to the critic instead. Mm-hmm. And um, I see things that don't work a lot easier than I see things that do. Um, and so I have to consciously and intentionally um, look for um, things that I can, you know, strengths that people have that they can build on and things that they have done well so that they recognize those things that they've done well. And even just the encouragement along the way, like if someone is, um, you know, very nervous about something and they start in, you know, you can, um, you know, on the side, um, I am them doing great, keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it's those little things that build somebody's confidence. And that is what a great ally does. And again, you don't need someone's permission to do that. Actually, it'd be awkward to get somebody's permission. (laughs) One, one way I think of that, that I consciously try to do this is there are a lot of roles that if somebody does it well, they're invisible. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing, right? If somebody's producing an event, you mm-hmm. don't want to know how much work went into producing the event. Everything just should seem seamless and just it just flows. And it's just like, wow, events just kind of happen. It's like, no, there's somebody who put a lot of time and effort into making that happen. And so recognizing those people and thanking them and calling them out from the stage, if it's appropriate, mm-hmm. it's, it's so important to do because people oftentimes who are in positions like that where where their hard work is making things 
you know, seem easy, the backstage sort of people. Yep. They, a lot of times are more junior. Maybe they're, um, you know, they, a lot of times they're, they're just people who, who don't necessarily get all of the praise and all the attention that they could. And so making note of who they are, whether again, you're just thanking them one-on-one or calling them out from on stage, it can be a really great way to lift people up and, and help other people maybe recognize the, mm-hmm. the great work that they've done. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what I mean. Right. So it's, it's, it's working with intention to do that. And, um, and those little things really mean a lot to, um, especially somebody who may be underrepresented, um, who, you know, hasn't had probably a lot of, um, positive reinforcement, um, Mm And, and a lot of recognition, right? Um, and so, um, so again, but you, you know, but they aren't things that you would only do to those people who are underrepresented, right? These are yeah. these first three things are things you do for everyone. You're an ally to all um, in that in that circumstance. But you are recognizing that your experience isn't universal, and um, you know, so you you wouldn't sit there and think well, I wouldn't need anyone to recognize me for that. So I don't need, I don't need to recognize someone else. It's like, well, just because you don't need someone to recognize you for that doesn't mean somebody else doesn't need that recognition. Well, and also I think, um, you know, many of our listeners are maybe more senior in their roles and you Mm -hmm. might've forgotten how intimidated you were when you first started your job. Um, you know, I've been in my job. I recently celebrated my 14th anniversary at criteria for success. And I can kind of remember what it was like on day one, but I haven't started a new job at this point in 14 years. And so understanding that, you know, my level of comfort, my level of ability to push back to, to ask the hard questions, um, and other things that's informed by the the comfort level that I've achieved through this time. And mm-hmm. somebody newer, you know, you might need to be more intentional about intentional about asking them to speak up and asking them what they think. But then also, as you said, um, kind of advocating for lifting up their ideas. Again, they, they all kind of go together. It's yep. it's a really great thing that you can do just using that privilege that you have, that credibility that you've built up just to, to kind of put the spotlight on other people in a really positive way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And so that, and that's allyship. And so that's, that's the reactive allyship. We can do, we can do it um, constantly. We can do it for anybody um, and we don't need permission. Right. Um, I think that the, the next three are more proactive, right. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of um, include and include in this sense that I'm talking about isn't isn't I mean all of what we're talking about is is driving for inclusion helping people feel they contribute and they belong but the include in this situation is um, really making sure that um, somebody is included in the dialogue right so if you have mm-hmm. a subject matter expert and um, and they are overlooked from being in a meeting. Um, that's bad, right? And so you would you would actively work to include them. Oh, I noticed that Elizabeth isn't here, and she's really the expert on um, the the sales model. What well, I think we should invite her, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and or um, or you know, recognizing when you're in a meeting um, that um, if, if everyone isn't you know isn't contributing, how do you? create a higher level of engagement, particularly for those that, um, you know, they may be introverts, they may, um, they, they may you know, have given up because they get interrupted or unheard so often that they just don't speak up. Um, so, you know, how do you work to include them back in the dialogue? 
The reason this is a proactive um, ally behavior is because you do want to check in with somebody before that, right? You want to mm -hmm. say, look, Elizabeth, I think that you are a phenomenal, um, you know, resource around sales models. And, um, and I would like to really make sure that your voice is heard. Um, that's a critical element of what we're doing and da, 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 right. And um, are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because I am going to put a spotlight on you and I want to make sure that you're okay with me doing that. Right. Um, and so, um, so that's, that's what, what I mean by proactive. It's that you don't want to surprise somebody. Um, mm -hmm want to be in it with them and you want them to agree that they want to be in that position. Um, this, and then the next one is about elevating them. So that's even taking it a step further. So that's about, um, you know, uh, finding, you know, giving them stretch projects, giving them more of an opportunity to be visible. Um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, um, in so far as saying, um, if, if I was offered a keynote, um, opportunity, I might say, you know what, Elizabeth is really more of the expert on this. I think you should ask her, right? Mm -hmm. That's an ally. But, but again, I would want your permission um, to be elevating you in that way. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and giving you that additional responsibility, giving you that additional visibility, giving you that additional attention, because it could be, you don't want that. Right. And so I have to have checked in um, to make sure that that's OK with you. Um, and then the last one is about sponsorship. And, you know, sponsorship is really the ultimate in allyship. And it is um, it is about representing you when you are not there. Um, it is about finding opportunities for you that you may not see. Um, and, it, and it is about, um, you know, really being your um, your champion um, your sponsor, uh, and, um, and, and, and really, you know, like supporting your career development and your position in the organization and in the industry, whatever it is. Right. Um, and so again, those last three super, super important allyship behaviors, you have to be very intentional, but they're proactive. So you really want to, um, you know, make sure that the person that you're being an ally to, um, is engaged in and uh, and agree in agreement. Absolutely, I you know I think of so many situations where, with the best intentions, people do some of these behaviors without checking in, without getting permission, and it can put an uncomfortable spotlight on somebody who says, "Actually, I I hate speaking in front of people, and I know it would be good for me, but I don't want to give a keynote talk, and you're very good at it, and you know, please do it, right?" Um, and sometimes. As part of that, elevating other people to give them kind of training wheels and, you know, can we co-present sometime? Mm -hmm. And then eventually I'm doing a little less of the presenting and you're doing a little more and eventually you can do it on your own. And so figuring out what's a way to help grow and stretch people that's not pushing the baby bird out of the nest and hoping they fly, <laughs> but right. is also not, you know, carrying them everywhere that they go. And right. finding that right balance, it's going to be different based on the person, um, how they how they prefer to learn and, and get comfortable with things. But you can only really know that if you're asking them and if you're having those conversations. You don't want to just assume that everybody wants to follow the same path you followed, for example. 
Exactly. And that's exactly what I mean by, you know, your experience isn't universal. And the first in, in really recognizing that um, is the first step in being a great ally, right? It's, a, it's recognizing your privilege or your position or your power, recognizing that your experience isn't universal and, um, and, and, you know, kind of letting go of some of the judgments that you may have about someone else because you're judging them on your own experience. And, you know, back to what you were talking about when it comes to um, including in, in this context, not the big picture inclusion, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen a lack of including the right people cause projects to go completely off the rails. And sometimes it's a subject matter expert. Sometimes it's an admin. I had a client that um, we were doing a kickoff meeting and we said, you know, you, you should have everybody involved that's a key stakeholder, as well as the people who are going to drive accountability and next steps. And we should have been more clear that that should include the admin who's going to be required to schedule all kinds of meetings because she was not in that meeting. And so we had this whole big conversation and all these next steps and identified them and then nothing really happened. And then we had to basically replicate the meeting just with the admin in order to get the project kicked off. And she was like, yeah, I wish I had been involved in that first meeting because I would have had the context. You know, somebody just emailed her, please schedule these meetings. And she's like, with whom, what, what am I doing here? And so making sure you're thinking about, um, you know, again, not just somebody who might've gotten left off the list because, because they're a less represented group, but even just people who are going to be involved in the project who are at a more junior level. And what you're doing by including them is you're providing that visibility. You know, they're stepping up in the meeting. They might get to the point where they're comfortable asking a question or, or, or proposing an option that if, if it's always just you come out of the meeting and give them your, you know, list of notes, they're not getting that face time that they'd get if they were invited. So it's, it's both, um, you know, it's not a great way to, you know, it's not a great way to be an advocate or an ally, but it's also operationally difficult when you don't get the right people involved. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that is why I say that these behaviors are behaviors of great leaders, right? Mm -hmm. They are. Um, and so doing them, practicing them, um, learning them is not just uh, making you uh, a great ally, but it is it is pushing you and making you a better leader. And, um, and it's really why everyone should do them. And you don't have to do all six at once. Like, don't be overwhelmed. Like you can work on each one of them. <laughs> you can, you can, there's no sequence to them. You can work on them, um, in any way, shape or frame you want to. Um, but you should start working on at least one of them in, um, practicing it. Yeah. And I think everybody is going to work a little differently. Some people might say, Hey, I'm going to look at these six things and identify the ones that I'm already doing sometimes. And I'm going to mm -hmm. try to do those all the time and yep. be more intentional about it. And then there are some people who would look at a list and say, okay, which is the one that I do least often? And I'm going to be really, really trying to implement that. So whatever, whatever method works best for people, um, that's great advice. There's a great book that, um, that I read that I encourage anyone who, actually anyone um, who wants to understand better about what does it mean to have systemic bias um, is called Invisible Woman. And um, it is, um, I'll have to remember the, um, the author of it, but, um, but it is basically, um, she talks about all of the, all of the different decisions that are made in society around building roads, building schools, um, 
you know, creating public restrooms, all sorts of decisions that like many of us have, you know, no idea how those decisions are made, but she walks you through the data that they use and the way that they actually, um, society in general tends to use the male experience as the universal experience. Mm -hmm. And then things that are missed, the things that we don't do, um, the things that we should do and how it creates challenges, even just like creating busing schedules, um, things like Mm -hmm. that. Right. And, um, and, and it's just an incredible eye opening book um, in helping you to understand what we're talking about. Like when, when you say, well, I don't really know, what are the things I don't know? Right. What are the things that are happening around me that, um, that I don't see, or I don't hear? Um, it, it really does, um, give you that, that perspective. And the author, her name is Caroline Criado Perez. Um, so if any listeners want, I mean, that is an amazing book to just open your eyes to understand what we may be talking about. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think I've heard the author interviewed and, and she's talked about, you know, crash test dummies. They have the, the standard default one that they use is in what are considered to be stereotypically male dimensions. Then when they decide, you know what, we're going to be, we're going to be good and we're going to include a woman. It's a woman who I believe is four foot 11 and a hundred and... 40 pounds or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I don't know about you, I don't match that. Uh, Most women I know don't match that. And so, uh, you know, even when it comes to pharmaceutical research, a lot of times drugs are researched um, and and the vast member, you know, the vast majority of the participants in the studies are men. It's not just that women are different sizes a lot of times, but but drugs might react differently in women with different hormones and hormones do all kinds of crazy things. And right, they use male rats as opposed to no male and female rats, right? And you're like, wow, it's just incredible. So so those are some of the those are the things that you they they are invisible to you. You don't realize, Um, but once you start to recognize how deep um, a lot of these biases go then you you can pick yourself up into the daily work that you do and start to recognize them happening there too. Absolutely. Now, a word has come up a couple of times in our conversation today, and I want to make sure we don't just gloss over it because some people might find it confusing or um, not really know exactly what we mean. So when yeah. we talk about a microaggression, could you kind of define what a microaggression is and why that as a concept is so important? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a, a micro, as, as you were saying in the beginning, there are macroaggressions. There are things that may occur that um, hopefully they don't happen that often, but everyone would notice that as a problem, right? If there was some sexual innuendo that occurred, or if somebody made a blatant comment um, about your gender or about um, someone's race, right? Those are macroaggressions. That's, that is one where everyone would go, what? Right. But microaggressions are things that are very subtle. They are things that are more unconscious, that are more built into some of those cultural norms. So microaggressions are things like, um, you know, that women are interrupted more often or the heap eating that happens where a woman might say something and um, no one notices, no one comments or they dismiss it. And then a few minutes later, a man says the same thing. And it is hailed as a brilliant idea, Mm -hmm. 
right? Those are those are microaggressions. Um, microaggressions in the in the world of a transgender um, uh, someone with a transgender identity might be when someone says, um, "Hey guys," when mm -hmm. they're addressing the group, right? Um, that is something where it's you know kind of in your um, colloquialisms or it's in your cultural norm, um, but and you don't re realize how offensive it may be to somebody who has a different experience, a different lived experience than you do. Um, and um, and so um, recognizing those microaggressions, um, it takes a lot of um, intentionality, right? It, it's, it goes back to, you know, intentional listening um, and learning and reading and um, recognizing your 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 experience isn't universal. So um, so those are some of those other microaggressions, things like we talked about, you know, asking, mm -hmm. uh, you know, having having a, a stereotype in your head on what somebody might be good at. Um, and then asking them to do it just because of that stereotype rather than because you know them. Right. So that would be the thing like asking me to take notes or go get coffee or, you know, plan an event. Um, those are stereotypical, you know, women's tasks. So I'm going to ask you because you are a woman. Yeah. Or even, you know, I, I see a man and I assume that he's into sports. And so I ask him to join the softball league that we have or, or just assume that he's going to join the softball league that, that we have. And he is not into sports or is not into playing sport, whatever it might be. Just th those assumptions we make when we could just ask people. Exactly. Exactly. I, I really appreciate that you called out um, that there are macro and microaggressions because I do think there are some people who just get caught up in that word and it just seems like what on earth is a microaggression or people just whining, right? And mm -hmm. it, it, it is just a different thing and understanding the, the distinction between a macroaggression and a microaggression macroaggressions, fortunately, don't happen very often, as you said, um, you know, in, in I think the professional context that most of us spend our time in, it would be incredibly inappropriate. And so people just don't do them. <laughs> um, but microaggressions are that just current under, you know, under yeah. the surface that's invisible, yeah. that's constantly, constantly, constantly weighing on someone. And yeah. that can be almost more overwhelming for people yeah. than a macroaggression because a macroaggression you're going to hear that and then people are going to shut that be like oh my goodness what on earth did you say i'm you know i'm so sorry but then they're the ones who are who are consistently making the microaggressions all the time and it's like well that's kind of worse right because the challenge is that because those microaggressions are subtle and because they happen so frequently um they can really destroy somebody's confidence they can mm -hmm. really make it so that somebody doesn't want to participate. I, I give you an example. I was um, coaching a, a, a young intern and, um, and I was, I was talking about this whole idea of um, allyship and microaggressions. And, um, and she was like, oh, never, those things, I don't know. I've never noticed those things happen at work. And I said, so you've never, you haven't ever noticed that when you go to speak up, you get interrupted a lot. And she was like, oh, and I was like, and you've never noticed that um, when you um, when you bring up an idea, um, nobody notices it or says anything or it gets dismissed quickly. Um, but then when a guy just will repeat the exact same thing, everybody thinks it's brilliant. And she was like, oh, you know what? That happens to me all the time in school. Right. Mm -hmm. So she immediately jumped from her internship where I think people were, you know, being giving her, you know, really trying to include her as an intern. Mm -hmm. Right. 
her, her, her schooling experience where she was like, look, I, I get, I'm in, I'm in tech and um, I get put into groups of boys all the time. And um, that happens to me in these groups all the time. Um, and I have just stopped even trying to contribute because I'm like, whatever, you're not even going to listen to me. And I'm like that. No, don't do that. Right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. That those microaggressions have this way of just insidiously like, you know, tearing you down and destroying your confidence and making you feel like why even try? I don't belong. And that is why we see so many women um, in tech, particularly um, step out like they mm -hmm. start they start in the industry and then they step out because they're like, I, I just don't belong here. And I think it's similar in sales. Like there's a lot of aggressive behavior in sales. I think you have to have some level of, you know, extroversion and, and, and you know, and, and be passionate and, um, and, and be ambitious and aggressive to, to be do well in sales in general. Um, and so, you know, the, there's a tendency that if those behaviors, if, if a woman is in that and she doesn't have an ally that she may just go, that's not for me because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time being heard. Absolutely. Right? And you really see that if you look at stats, um, you know, I'll go back to the educational example. You'll see more um, women and more people of color at, at the entry levels. At, at all different entry levels, you know, starting PhD programs, starting master's programs, starting undergrad programs. And then over time, that tends to fall off and you see rising to the top, especially of some specific fields, uh, groups that have always had historic representation there. And mm -hmm. that can't just be these individuals just can't hack it. You know, each one of them is a failure and terrible. No, there's got to be something. If you're seeing, you know, half or more of the women who who join your your program falling out of it at some point, uh, it's it's definitely worth taking some time to figure out what are the situations that they're encountering that are making this not work for them, and how can we enable them to be successful? Because, you know, it, just as a person, I have a everybody has something to contribute, and. Right. If, if there's anybody who's held back from their potential, you think of what that limits in terms of their potential contribution to bigger projects. It's not that we're saying that, you know, a woman would be would be better than a man or a person of color would be better than a white person or or anything like that. We're just saying both of them should be at the table because then right. you're going to you're going to get twice as much as if you just had one person there. And right. um, it's it's such an incredibly important thing that um, if we're if we're not paying attention, it, it just happens on its own. So you have to kind of push against it. And that's kind of what being an ally is. Exactly. I mean, organizations that have diverse representation and inclusion so that they actually are utilizing the diversity they have and, and recognizing the different perspectives. Um, they have greater profitability. They have better decision-making. They have um, higher levels of innovation. And those are all um, proven through research. And so you do want to have that diverse representation, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't have an inclusive environment. And in, in, the, um, in the time that we are right now, where there is a war for talent, Mm -hmm. And um, and there are um, a lot of women leaving this, the great resignation through um, through this covid period. Um, retention is key. And the mm -hmm. key to retention is to have inclusion. And I believe that the key to inclusion is 
um, practicing these ally behaviors. Absolutely. Well, I have so loved our conversation today, Gabrielle. I feel like we could keep talking forever, but looking at the <laughs> clock, I realize we should probably wind down. So a question I always like to ask our guests is, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? It can be um, something, you know, a book or, or a TED Talk or a video or something, and it could be yours or just something like that Invisible Woman book um, that, that you've identified from someone else. Yeah, I mean, so to learn to learn more about um, about my work and um, and about this framework, um, I would encourage anyone to go to GabriellaSchuster.com, and there you can find my ebook as well as my TED Talk um, and uh, you know several other interviews and such that I have done on the topic. Um, and then uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, again, it's, I, I am in a privileged position of having a very unique name, so all you have to do. <laughs> up my name um, and you can find me very easily. Um, as far as uh, third party, um, I uh, not only do I recommend Invisible Woman, but um, another great book um, that I recommend is um, Good Guys. And it's written by uh, Brad Johnson and David Smith. And they talk, uh, again, a lot about these allied behaviors, but from a man's perspective, um, what, it, what it looks like to them and how they came into uh, better awareness. So um, those are some great resources. I have to say, hearing the names Brad Johnson and David Smith, those sound fake. <laughs> so like, <laughs> if there's anybody who's going to write a book called Good, and I can picture in my mind what they probably look like, which maybe is a stereotyping thing, but that's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, the, the cool thing is that they, they both work um, as professors at the Naval Academy, and it, okay. it is probably the last people you would expect to have a book like that. Yeah, well, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much for joining me today, Gabrielle. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, four, zero. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend it to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed to make sure to do that wherever you're listening right now, that makes sure that you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice, or you can email us if you've got feedback, if you've got questions, if you've got guest suggestions, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!